<laughs> well, we have three salmon rivers in Reykjavik or in the capital area. So what I used to do, I used to tape my rod to my bicycle and ride it to some of these rivers. So I was basically poaching. So I remember myself fishing a river called Atledaur here in central Reykjavik. The fishing hours for, are from 7 to 1 and then from 4 to 10. I usually went uh, fishing, you know, in the break. And I remember myself once fishing Atleo River in the break and, and the guard come and he passed me and took all the equipment off me, my rod, my hooks, my worms, everything. Took everything off me and uh, told me that he would call the police if he would ever see me again. And I was, I was really, really angry with him and, and asked if he could please give me the rod back. No. What about the hooks? Please. <laughs> no. I never want to see you again. So, yeah. It was hard being uh, addicted to fishing when, when I was a kid. Did you ever poach again? Yes, of course. <laughs> On that river? No. <laughs> For those who fish, this is the Drake cast. He was tying feathers on a hook. My passion is, is fly fishing. That's what I love. And that's where it's going to be, fly fishing. I'll do a hopper with a hopper dropper with a dropper hopper. Bam! It was on. Nailed it in the surface. The river was like a woman. Them days. You see big awesome fish, big runs of fish. <laughs> could be a disco mage, it could be a bead head. That's ugly fish. Fish must die. Buckle up and get ready. I'm your host, Elliot Adler. Hey folks, super sorry for not putting out an episode for a couple weeks. I've been guiding in Alaska for the last month and spent most of my evenings drinking rather than working on these audio stories. So my deepest apologies to both y'all listeners and my liver. But the podcast is back. And even better than all of that, there's a new issue of the Drake magazine available. Swing on down to your local fly shop to read about Minnesota smallmouth, Florida largemouth, East Coast albacore, Saskatchewan pike, Guatemalan sailfish, Atlantic salmon we both love and hate, and a whole slew of other fishes and fisheries. Alrighty, on to the episode. This is chapter 3 of the Eurotrip miniseries. In chapter 1, we found lots of baby brown trout on the River Blackwater in Ireland, and chapter 2 took us to the Faroe Islands, where we ate whale and managed a few sea trout. If you missed either of those episodes, go check them out. But anyways, when my time in the Faroe Islands came to an end, I hopped on a ferry and headed northwest, to Iceland. And at the ferry terminal, I was met by Christian Raffensen. How are you? Fantastic, how are you? I'm good, I'm great. Never been better. Christian has stark blonde hair, a square jaw, fierce blue eyes, about as Nordic as you can get. So much so, that when Bentley released an SUV targeted at fly fishermen, and they wanted a Nordic feel to the ad campaign, Christian was the cover boy. Oh man, I've only seen this much so far, and already. Been seen nothing yet. <laughs> Whereas Ireland is a mix of prairies, farmland, and forest, and the Faroe Islands are just blanketed with lush grasses, Iceland has none of that flora. It's a mix of sharp mountains and rolling hills covered by either nothing or low-growing scrub brush. You know, we have a saying in, in Iceland. If you get lost in Icelandic forest, you just stand up. But Iceland also has some of the world's most beautiful and productive rivers. And that's where we were headed, in search of the Atlantic salmon that had so far evaded me. And how have you been this summer? I've been 
good. Been, been, the fishing has been great. Trout fishing has been excellent. Salmon fishing has not been so excellent. We were not getting any uh, runs of grills. Also, the water level of uh, many of the rivers is, is very low. Not exactly what I was hoping to hear. But anyways, Iceland has always been known for salmon fishing. But Christian and his company Fish Partner have focused their attention on the underappreciated trout that inhabit the island. While I was in Iceland, we'd be going for browns, arctic char, and Atlantic salmon if we could find them. But this story goes beyond Atlantic salmon. Fishing in Iceland is like nowhere else. The runs are plentiful, the fish big, and the scenery stunning. But this volcanic fly fisher's paradise also has its drawbacks. Fishing is only available to a select few, and on top of that, there are some pretty serious threats to the health of the fishery. Stick around. Back to Christian and me in the car. We drove through northeastern Iceland, following the coast to our first river, that I never fully learned how to pronounce. Bakkaau. Bakkaau. After a couple hours on the road, we finally made it to the river. Let's go fishing. How are we looking? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> it's fishing, remember. You never know. The water level is not that bad. It could be worse, really. When I was here, about two weeks ago, it was much lower. So, hopefully they, they ran up. The river was pretty small, but it was gorgeous. Every hundred yards, there was a riffle that flowed into a pool, which we could only pray held salmon. I've got a five weight, I've got an eight weight. Five weight. Do it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a tiny river. I looked around to see if there were any other anglers with whom we'd have to compete. A whole river just for ourselves. A whole river. Do you have both sides of the river here? How far up do you have? All the river, both sides. The whole thing, it's ours. The fishing in Iceland works a little differently than anything I've experienced before. Whereas in Ireland, fishing clubs lease out stretches of river from farmers, and in the Faroes, it was a free-for-all. In Iceland, it's more common that landowners with river access all get together and lease out entire rivers to outfitters. And Christian's company, Fish Partner, had leased out this entire river, so we had the whole thing to ourselves, from the estuary to an impassable waterfall about five miles upstream. We'll touch more on this topic later. This river now is the first time it's on the open market. Only the landowners has been fishing it for, you know, decades or the last hundred years. So it, we really don't know how much fish run in the river. But I would say probably maybe somewhere between three and five hundred. We get quite a lot of salmon there, but it's it's a late season river. What does a late season river mean? It means they run late in Icelandic salmon season. That's in like in August. So the first rivers in Iceland, the the first the springers, they run in in May. But in this area, it happens all later. We opened this river in 15th of July. And is that you, or is that the state that says you can? It's me. You know, I don't want to sell license into empty river. It doesn't make any sense. The date was August 3rd, so we were hoping that a few of the first salmon had made their way into the river. Ooh. We rigged up and Christian talked me through how we'd be fishing that day. And we're gonna start with surface flies. We call it hitch tubes. It's a kind of a small plastic tube with a hole in the middle of the body. So you put the leader in the middle of the body. So when the fly is on the surface, it skates and creates kind of a wee. Will they see that in the podcast? 
<laughs> He's making it, his arms in the shape of a V. <laughs> and that sometimes makes makes them angry. They don't like we in the surface. And then just behind that, a treble hook. Finally, we made it to the first pool. I haven't caught one Atlantic salmon this season so far. Well, I haven't caught one this season either. Or ever. Oh, okay. Okay, you start. We walked into the middle of the river, about five yards above the pool. We start fishing here. Cast 45 like this. A little further, further. And just let it swing or give it a strip? No, no, I'll show you. But hold it extremely high up. Slow little strips like that. Yeah. I had never fished like this before. It was a mix of streamer fishing and swinging, with a really visual component thrown in there. I liked it. And what's the hook set gonna look like? You don't set the hook, the salmon set. Just don't trout set it. Okay. Just yell at me if you want me to do something different. I never yell. I'll tell you. I'm not a client, you can yell. <laughs> oh. oh, it's smoke, the salmon smoke. Is that what it was? Yeah. Well, there's some life in the pool. Oh yeah, baby, yeah, baby. Really sexy. Just then, Christian's phone rang. Hello, Cash. Christian is a fly fishing guide, but I quickly came to realize that he's also a businessman. He was constantly fielding calls from prospective clients and setting up trips with his guides. And call me old fashioned, but this kind of bugged me. Had I flown halfway around the world to listen to somebody talk on the phone? It was pretty hard to get decent audio when Christian's phone was always ringing. I did my darndest to not let it get to me. The first couple pools didn't yield anything other than a couple nips from Salmon Smolt. We hopped into Christian's SUV and drove up to the top of the river, just below the waterfall that stops the salmon from going any further upstream. We crouched as we made our way up the canyon, trying not to spook the fish that we'd be targeting. So, what we want now is uh, service strikes. And on my second cast, the salmon immediately left the pool and shot into the rapids heading downstream. I did my best to keep the rod high and follow the fish's lead, because I wasn't going to be able to turn it on a five weight. You want to tail it? We were in the top pool. I guided you into the, the pool. I told you exactly where to cast, and bam, it was on. It was, it was great fun, and then the fish, you know, ran straight from the pool down the, down the, the rapids, and it was really funny <laughs> watching you <laughs> running after it. This was my first Atlantic salmon, but something was off. Oh, he's, he's bleeding. I'd hooked the fish too deep, and blood poured out of its gills. This fish wasn't going to make it. I'd finally landed my first Atlantic salmon, this majestic, threatened animal, and I killed it. Unfortunately, it didn't make it, so it ended up being barbecued in the lodge. Yeah, it was delicious. And while it may not have gone to waste, I didn't feel good about it. As soon as I saw the blood pouring out of the fish's gills, I remembered an Instagram post by my friend Zach Castle, who's better known as Driftless Drifter. The post featured a healthy brown trout with the caption, We killed this fish. He choked a mouse so deep that I ended up puncturing two gills. He bled out in less than 15 minutes. I think we all need to remember that fishing is a blood sport. Even if you practice keep them wet, debarb every hook, fight fish fairly on heavy tippet, some fish are going to die. Own up to your actions by eating bleeding fish where legal and use the best practices that minimize the chances of fatal hookups. I encourage all of you to follow Zach's lead. 
We continued downstream, landing two more healthy Atlantics and way too many smolt along the way, until we made it back to our first pool. We knew there were fish in there, and since I had caught two fish to Christian's one, he gave it a go. Want me to tell it? It's the laziest fish I've ever caught. I think this fish is not fresh. Might be a pink. It's a pink? It's a pink. It's Look a at pink. that hump. Oh my god. This fish must die. Want me to kick it? Like this. That's an ugly fish. Okay, that's the second pink I catch this year. What does it make you think? Well, I'm concerned. And yeah, it wor worries me a little bit because in the neighbor rivers here, they've caught also pink salmon. So they're catching pink salmon in all the rivers here in the area. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about it because they can actually spawn here and you know, they can, like in Russia, you know, it's a plow, you know, they're all over the place. They've been catching a lot of them in the UK now, this season, so it's, uh, yeah, it worries me a lot. Pinks are native to the Pacific, but this fish most likely strayed from a river in western Russia, where someone had thoughtlessly planted them a long time ago. And unfortunately, this is becoming more and more common in salmon rivers across the Atlantic. A month or so back, an angler recorded two pinks spawning in a river in Scotland, which is scary, because these rivers are more or less unchanged from the last ice age. It's a pink. What are we going to do with it? Kill it, because they're rats. Whoa, this is not a fish. By this point, the sun had set behind the hills and we called it a day. We drove to a property nearby that Christian leases out when clients are in the area. It was there that we recapped our time on the river. How many did we land? We landed three? Yeah, we landed three, seven. One pink salmon, unfortunately, and one trout. So, yeah. Pretty good afternoon of fishing. Yeah, yeah, pretty good. The next morning when we woke up, Christian was a bit frantic. Last week, I was fishing in the highlands in the southern part of Iceland, and I dropped my phone in the river. I searched all over for it, and I didn't find it. So I decided to go and buy a new phone, a Samsung, and I bought a different version of Samsung. These idiots, they changed the charging plug. I forgot my charger somewhere and I can't get my phone working. Are you spending a lot of time on Snapchat? On, no uh, way, man. Emails, emails. I'm receiving a lot of emails, a lot of phone calls. So it's, yeah, it stressed me up not be able to, to answer the phone all the time. A uh, funny story about the other, my other phone is uh, a client of mine was <laughs> fishing the river two days later and he found the phone and my guide took the phone and charged it and it was working. So Samsung S7, God bless you, you're great. Now I got two phones. Neither of which were both in our possession and working. And this really ate at Christian. But personally, I was happy to be completely disconnected in such a wild place. That day, we headed to another nearby river and searched for sea-run Arctic char. And we found them. These anadromous beauties averaged around two pounds and they put up a good fight. But while we were targeting char, we also found a few Atlantic salmon. This time, they were all successfully released. When we got back to the lodge that night, I still had a negative feeling about that first fish I had killed. And I still didn't fully understand how fishing rights work in Iceland. So I want to talk a little bit about the whole river access, river ownership, river rights thing. <sighs> Boring. <laughs> I, I, think it's an, I find it interesting. 
Yeah, of course it's interesting. The history of salmon fishing in Iceland. Of course, we've been salmon fishing for ages, you know, netting them and just for, you know, catching them for food. But I think it's probably the, the bridge. They came here first with fly rod and started to fly fish for salmon. And they taught Icelanders how to fly fish for salmon more than 100 years ago. Yeah, so the, all, all water in Iceland is privately owned. Every single lake, every single river, nothing is owned by the government. So you cannot buy any state license or any licenses. You have to buy it from a landowner or a liceholder. But uh, all the best fishers in Iceland are leased out to a guy like me, which sells fishing licenses and operates everything. From a resource standpoint, what are the benefits of that? It's of course much better for the stock of fish because we have a limited amount of fishermen per day in the river, so it's not a lot of pressure on the fish. Yeah, and we protect the fish a lot. To dive even further into this topic, I have to introduce another character. Yeah, yeah. There's no secret among thieves, as they say. <laughs> this is Gisli Asiersen. He's a big dude, well over six feet, sports a shaved head, a kind, confident smile, and has one hell of an espresso machine. Geasley is a member of a group that has recently bought up over 25,000 acres of land with river access in northeastern Iceland. And most of this funding comes from an English benefactor. As I was driving in here the first night with Christian, he was pointing out the rivers and saying who owns it. And this guy's name from the UK kept popping up, as did your name, of buying up all this land around these rivers and taking over the management of these rivers and a lot of this land. And when I heard that, I heard this kind of neo-colonial imposition of some Western guy from the UK coming in and imposing his will on the area. Can you explain why you guys are doing this from both a business side and a resource side? It's a big question, but some people would like to spend their money on buying football teams or buying up something that never makes money anyway. And some people like to buy up rivers and have control of rivers that we can really protect, first of all protect, and then uh, we can enjoy the fishing. Let's narrow it down a little bit. Let's take first the negative side, the image that you get if somebody rich coming in and buying out the farms. Firstly, agriculture in Iceland, it's not doing so well. So some of the farmers you know, would like to leave, that is one thing. Secondly, to be able to manage the rivers completely, you have to own the land. That's Icelandic law. So you, I cannot buy the fishing rights out just solely. You have to buy the land. Thirdly, to be able to enforce catch and release and to enforce no use of agriculture products like fertilizer and things like that, uh, we will have to own it. What would happen to these rivers if they were public? You know, even if it was catch and release? First of all, you would have way more people on the river. People would run out when there is rain. And I've seen that in Ireland, where the rivers are public. In 2006 and 2007, we went to Ireland to have a look at some rivers in Ireland. And it's just impossible, you know, you wouldn't like to buy fishing in a river and come up here, all this journey, make all this journey, come up here, buy fishing and spend all your money on that. And then you had a day where all the locals would run out and stay on the other bank opposite to you, casting into the same pool as you were doing. That was happened to us in Ireland. We saw that happening. And nobody stops it because it's public. So, I too had that happen to me when I was salmon fishing in Ireland. It's pretty hard to convince a salmon to bite a fly, especially when there are spinners and gobs of worms in the same pool. 
it, it is just different and I'm, I'm not saying one thing is the better than the other it's just it's not quality of the fishing we would like to see and if you'll allow me to extrapolate a bit here this system allows for anglers like me to kill a fish every once in a while because the harvest is so controlled by the river's outfitter by giving these outfitters control they have a vested interest in keeping their rivers healthy if they overfish it one year they're going to feel the effect of that improper management a few years down the line. I can almost guarantee that if the Bacau River, with an annual run of at most 500 salmon, were open to the public, even with strictly enforced catch and release regulations, it wouldn't take too long for that salmon run to cease to exist. Because anglers make mistakes, and fish take hooks too deep, and people poach. And also to adding to that um, regarding the fish we haven't tampered with it. There is no small program. We haven't tried to change it in any way. It is as nature intended. And nature is usually the best way how it's done. You know, we have learned that through experience. When we try to tamper with it or, or try to speed things up or to grow the fish faster or do anything, we usually end up in a mess. The way it is now is the result of a process that's been going on for thousands of years. And it is as good as it gets up to now. We, we can't do it better. The only thing we're trying is to open up closed areas for fish where there are waterfalls or some hindrances in the water. Meaning they carve fish ladders out of the bedrock at an exorbitant cost to give the salmon access to higher reaches of the river, which in turn should increase the river's carrying capacity. Native fish in the rivers have access to new places to spawn, to grow, um, but anything else we, we don't touch we can't do it better than the nature. It's just pure experience. One thing that struck me is how un-American this whole approach is. In the States, we wage legal battles to guarantee our access to public lands, as well as access to rivers running through private property. If you can get there, you can fish it and enjoy it. And it's always been that way. But in Iceland, it's never been that way. And let's look at the success of these two different approaches. How many species of salmon or steelhead are endangered or threatened on the West Coast? How many millions of trout are annually stocked in the U.S.? How many trailers are parked at Three Mile Bridge on a Saturday? But there's a flip side to this approach. This strict regulation of pay-to-play river access is what leads frustrated anglers like young Christian at the beginning of the story to poach. And what about the folks who don't have the money to salmon fish? And what about the kids whose parents don't have the money to salmon fish? There are definitely winners, namely the rich and the salmon. But there are clear losers as well. But no matter how expensive the fishing is and how many pinks wander their way into Icelandic waters, there's another serious player that threatens salmon stocks. Can we talk a little bit about the fish farming? Yes. Wow, it's, uh, this is the third wave of fish farming in Iceland. We've had two waves before. They were supposed to rescue the whole economy of Iceland, should be rescued by fish farming. And the first wave just went straight on that nose. It just took a couple of months and then there were bankruptcy all over the island and a lot of people lost a lot of money. Second wave came 10, 12 years ago. And then uh, that was done in a, in, in a more sensible way, but still that all went bankrupt. And we couldn't compete with the Norwegians and the, and the Scots and the Chileans just simply couldn't. It's too cold here. And the way they are doing it now, the third wave, is, is because there are Norwegians coming up and buying the license of uh, fish farming 
up in Iceland because the license in Norway is becoming too expensive. So economically, now it's profitable to have it here because the licenses are so cheap. And so they're going to go in and they're going to bring over Norwegian stock of fish, which we are really scared of that is genetically going to pollute our rivers. And how many fish are we talking about? Like, like how big are these farms? Hundreds of thousands of tons. Do you know how many fish are in one ton of, <laughs> of salmon? It's, 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 it's crazy. The, just one cage, a big cage, has the same number as the whole natural stock of Iceland. We catch about 40 to 50,000 fish in Iceland a year. And, and there's maybe, you know, 100, 200,000 fish in one fish farm. So it's, it just do add up the numbers, it's crazy. It's dangerous. And even a tenth of a percent escape. Yes. I mean, it's, it's, we calculated if, if we had two and a half percent escapes from, from uh, all the fish farms, it would be twice as big as the whole natural population of Iceland. I call this fish farming, I call it the chicken farms of the sea. It's just like the ugliest picture you can see of a chicken farm and you don't see all the, all the pollution, all the medicines, you know, that, all the food that goes to the bottom and what happened to the seabed underneath these cages. And uh, we have fought this hard. We are now in a lawsuit against the issue of these licenses and we, we think the, uh, the officials in Iceland have not been issuing the licenses according to our natural law. First of all, we, we are trying to stop it in that sense. And then we are also trying to appealing to just the general public in the way that, you know, this isn't, you know, as, as, as good as it looks. It's owned by foreigners. So it's not Icelandic in the sense that it's going to be massive of money running into these areas. Do you have anything you want to add to that? They say that the cages are fully secured and no fish will escape. But, you know, it already happened recently. They, uh, rainbow trout escaped from some cages and, and they've been turning up in, in, in most rivers in Iceland. So, you know, nothing is secured. Fish will always escape. Sound familiar? The solar eclipse is being blamed for a fishing disaster. We see what looks like a commercial fishing boat. Thousands of Atlantic salmon were released from a pen in strong current and tide. As long as they're out there, they're going to be a significant problem. Now, a call to the public to catch and eat as many 10-pounders as they can. I don't think they're going to catch all of them, uh, but uh, and hopefully the orcas will get the rest. Before they compete with our wild fish for food. Please forgive the awful music. But this is a soundbite from the Atlantic salmon fish farm spill in Puget Sound a couple months back. As Christian said, fish will always escape. Sorry, this has been a lot of me talking. Let's go back to fishing. But first, a few words from our sponsors. This episode of the Drake Cast is brought to you by Scott Fly Rods. Rooster Levens is a guide and the owner of Stonefly Inn and Outfitters in Twin Bridges, Montana. He told me why he has faith in Scott Fly Rods. Jim Barsky and his crew uses professionals in the industry from step one on designing a rod. Before they get released to the public, we've had them for six, seven months, and he takes a big field of intel from guys like me that break a lot of stuff. Then they go to work and make them look pretty, and then they sell them. So uh, as a result, you end up with a, with a better, you end up with a better product. You can't argue with that. You can find Scott Fly Rods at your local fly shop or scottflyrod.com. We're also sponsored by Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. This is Jim Klug with Yellow Dog Fly Fishing Adventures. 
As the industry leader in fly fishing travel, we specialize in sending anglers all around the world in search of the very best fishing opportunities and experiences. This week's featured destination is Cuba. The fact that Yellow Dog has been working in and fishing Cuba for so many years means that we have things completely dialed in and set for each and every client we send down. Cuba is a great option for fishing, and even better when it comes to the people, music, scenery, and overall culture. Give us a call here at Yellow Dog or visit us online at yellowdogflyfishing.com. And remember that while there's a lot of ways to get there, there's only one way to do it right. Okie dokie, back to Iceland. After our chat with Gisli, Christian and I hit a stretch of the upper cella in search of brown trout. What do we got here? I don't have no idea. It's a, it's a very, very strong fish. I haven't seen it yet. It took my streamers and just, you know, bam, ran down the river. Full power. It feels, feels like a big fish, but you never know, you know. It feels very good. How do you feel right now? I feel very good. <laughs> a very healthy fish. Beautiful, like two and a half pound. Uh, brownie, of course. I thought it was much bigger. It felt like a five-pound fish. It, it, it fought very, very hard. The highland trout, they are just simply extremely strong. I mean, they live up here in the wintertime, so they must be very strong. Hey, first, first right. decent fish in. Nice. Woo. We found a few, but at midday, a big storm rolled in. So we got out of there and headed to another fabled salmon river, where we had a couple of hours to fish before sunset. We're now at the Aurobotbeet at Big Laxá, or Laxá in Avaldalur, as it's called in, in Icelandic. And we're going to the top pool at the beat. It's called Breiðeyri. I caught my biggest fish there ever, my personal best Atlantic salmon. So I'm very excited to fish this pool once again. What's the history of the Big Laxá? It's a big fish river. You don't catch many fish here, but probably the highest quantity of big fish is caught in this river. So it's, it's very common to catch uh, fish between 15 and 20 pounds. It's, it's a fly-only river and uh, catch and release. It used to be in the past, then, then it was allowed to use worms, spoons and everything. But, and it was allowed to kill fish, but you know, they overkilled the river and so it went down. It, it's going to take decades to come back together, if it will ever get as, as good as it was in the past. But uh, hopefully... Christian and I rigged up two-handers and waded our way out into the pool. He managed a nice five-pound grills that evening, and then we retired to our bunks at the hostel just upstream. The next morning, we were on the river by 7 a.m. The way that salmon fishing works on many of the big rivers in Iceland is that the day is split into two sessions. The first session runs from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m., and then there's a strictly enforced break until 4 p.m., when no one is allowed to fish. This is a tradition that's been around nearly as long as anglers have been fishing these rivers. I had a flight early the next morning, and we still had a six-hour drive back to Reykjavik, so we had one more chance to find salmon. So let's go fishing. Excellent. Let's, uh, let's do this first. I did. Let's do more of it. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, come on. You're a man. You're a big boy. Oh! <sighs> 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 I had brought a tin of McChrystal's premium snorting tobacco, which is apparently illegal in Iceland, and Christian was hooked on the stuff. Before each hole, we had to take a bump in each nostril. All right, let's do it. Let's clean our noses and go catch some fish. <laughs> my favorite pool on the beach. And why is this your favorite pool? Because uh, I have a very good memory here. Once I was in late June, 
Usually there's not much fish in the river in June, but you know, I came up here and I took a very far cast and I was taking a drift and the fish takes, turns around and down the rapids down there. And I followed the fish all the way down to the pool we were fishing at. Yeah, I ran so fast that I could taste blood in my mouth. So I fought the fish there for about 10-15 minutes. And then it went uh, behind a rock and that was it. <laughs> Adventure story. Sometimes the best fish are the ones that get away. Yeah, yeah. Do we have some more of the good stuff? Back to fishing. We worked our way up the river, hitting the pools that historically held salmon. Christian landed a four-pound brown, but it didn't count because A, we were targeting salmon, and B, it was foul-hooked. I saw fish rise, big salmon, maybe 10, 12 pounds. But, uh, yeah, they just didn't want to hit our flies. They rose to it a couple of times, checked them out, but didn't take them. The salmon kept coming up to look at our flies, but I never felt any tension on my line. They just wanted to take a peek. I got a little, little frustrated with the salmon fishing and sat on the bank for a little bit and then tied on a streamer and went and caught a trout, like maybe a one and a half pound trout. Yeah. Hit well, beautiful fish, and avoided the skunk today. <laughs> yeah, we didn't get skunk today. Both caught trout. When the first fishing session ended at 1 p.m., we broke down our rods and loaded all of our gear into Christian's SUV and left the big laksa. We drank copious amounts of coffee on the drive back to Reykjavik. That night, we bought some beer and hunkered down in Christian's apartment for a final rundown of our time together. Fishing in Iceland is different from every other country. We have a huge stock of fish. Uh, it's all wild. It's all native. We don't stock any rivers. We have three species, brown trout, both sheerant and landlocked, Arctic char, which is both landlocked and sheerant, and the Atlantic salmon. When you buy a fishing trip in Iceland, you're buying exclusivity, like you experienced. Today we were fishing the big lock, so we had stretch of four kilometers just for ourselves. We were fishing the Bakka, we had the whole river just for ourselves. You're not going to run into any people when you're fishing here. That's the beauty about fishing in Iceland, you know, it's the, it's the exclusivity you get. Big trout here, like what are your chances of catching a like fish of a lifetime here and why should someone consider this place to target trout? When you say fish of a lifetime, how big fish are you talking about? Four pounds, five pounds. <laughs> a trophy trout in Iceland is between 15 and 20 pounds. If you call that a fish of a lifetime, Iceland is definitely the destination you want to choose. If you want to catch a huge trout, you have to come in May, early June, fish lake Thingvallavan. There you will find the biggest trout in the world. Unique species. They got landlocked in the lake uh, last ice age. Originally sea trout. They reach age of 20 years old maximum. They grow up to 36 pounds. As I know, we've caught two fish 36 pounds. We catch dozens of them 20 pounds and over every year. And uh, the average size of the fish in May is about 8 pounds. Though I had traveled to Iceland to fish for Atlantic salmon, it sounds like I now have a good reason to return. Because the trout of a lifetime doesn't sound too bad either. My whole experience in Iceland was excellent. Wonderful rivers, great company, and I managed to land the Atlantic salmon that had inspired my journey. And I hope against hope that they're still there when I come back.
even if it does cost me an arm and a leg. One million thanks to Christian and Fish Partner for their hospitality during my time in Iceland. On our website, drakemag.com, you'll see photos from our time together. If you're interested in more information about Fish Partner and their waters, check them out online or attend one of the fly fishing shows in Denver, New Jersey, or California. Christian will be there and would love to answer your questions. Also, a thanks to Geesley for taking the time to chat with me. His operation, Strangia Angling, will also be at quite a few of the shows. I'm still not sure what next week's episode will be, but come back for more. And if you like what you've been hearing for the past three months, give us a review on iTunes. It really helps people find out about the podcast. Thanks for listening. This has been The Drake Cast.